Three, two, one, and we're live. Uh, welcome to another episode of Hot Coffee Consulting. I'm joined today by Rahman Sidhu uh, of Beamray, uh, and he's going to talk us through uh, Beamray's journey uh, very quickly uh, and explain uh, where the business began, how it evolved, and then I think you're going to talk a little bit about the uh, current philosophy of the business uh, around data and how you work with your clients to uh, instantiate the value of data as an asset to the business. Thanks, Miles. Thanks for the introduction. And it's great to see you. Yeah, uh, good to see you. Um, yeah, so uh, Beamray, well, where do we start? We've been on a journey for the last four and a half years. Um, we're a Finnish-born company, and I've been with the company since the very beginning. Um, since the very beginning, we had a philosophy towards uh, location and context in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, real time for us was very important, and I'll get into that. But um, we believe that context is a core part uh, of being able to market across any channel. And a core element of context is location. And being able to understand that and act upon it immediately Uh, should be uh, a core capability. Um, So this led us down a a rabbit warren of exploration, effectively, um, as none of the market was doing things in the way we were doing, Mm -hmm. and instead decided to kind of fall short for some of the more, let's say, um, more direct use cases or simpler ones, technically speaking, just as well. And we soon understand there's probably a reason for that because doing location and context in real time the way we wanted to do it is extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, Now having conquered that part of it, uh, having built out all the core technology, um, we are now scaling up that capability. And for us, scaling it up means integrating into more places. Um, so not just DSPs and SSPs, but marketing clouds, push notification providers, um, DMPs, CDPs, effectively any channel, um, analytics platforms. Um, and in turn, what we effectively enable is automated data science. Um, and we make that available to as much of the brand as possible in turn increasing the value of that data science and growing the number of citizen data scientists within a brand. So just before we go down that rabbit warrant, as you (laughs) call it, um, I was first introduced to Beamray probably a couple of years ago uh, when I was working at Low2Me as a data management platform. And we were working with a lot of different publishers that were trying to get a better understanding of uh, the location and the physical uh, patterns of movement in Mm -hmm. their readership. And Beamray was a solution that was helping uh, publishers to do that. So maybe you can talk a bit about how you were working with those publishers at that point in time and then the evolution that you've been on in the last couple of years. Because it does seem... Uh, at least from my perspective, that you have evolved very significantly the proposition around what you do. But yeah. I want to start, at least for me, uh, at, a, at a point at which I know and understand and then I can follow it through. Yeah. Um, so back in those days, we were very much focused on uh, providing a self-service tool um, to allow media owners to be able to build geofences, which would include both IP and lat-long data, 
having built accuracy into IP and be able to effectively run campaigns for location-driven campaigns. Um, for us at that time, scalability meant uh, the number of requests per second we could process into that engine in effectively resolving location based on custom geofences in real time. Um, since then, um, we scaled up our platform in terms of our back end. We built our own database, our own application server, and in turn, being able to handle millions of requests per second. Um, so that allowed us to start focusing on the inferences of real-time location, which for us, building geofences was effectively the smaller price mm -hmm. because it effectively limits the scale for any publisher or the campaign that they want to run. Um, so what we did was apply machine learning to that, and then we built our first automated product, uh, which we call Personal Status. Bit of a geeky name, might require a product marketer to have a look at it at some stage. But it simply means that throughout your day, you are changing your mindset based on where you are in your day. So mm -hmm. when you're at home in the morning, you're thinking about very different things to when you're commuting to work, when you get to work, when it's your lunch break, when you commute home, uh, when you're back at home, when you're at work in between, like when you're in your free time, when you're on holiday, when you've just returned from holiday, depending on how far you commute, are you in a city commuter or out of city commuter? So all of these predefined uh, understandings of people's mindset throughout the day, we are able to capture with personal status. Um, and for us, it's very important because it's not just about advertising campaigns anymore. It's about all forms of marketing and being able to understand when your customers or your consumers engage with your brand, what they're engaging with. Are they buying things whilst they're at work? What are they buying whilst at work? How does that differ to what they buy at home? Mm -hmm. um, and um, in turn, helping you engage with that person or recommend them content or advertisements um, when it's most relevant. Um, so that was the first product. And um, that's in turn changed the understanding of what we do uh, for our clients in a big way because it means that they immediately don't need to worry about scale and having to define the behaviors. We do that for them. Okay. And as a result, it means that the value to a brand, in this case, let's say a media owner, increases way past the advertising department. And now we have built, um, well, to give an example, most recently we got a call from the data science team at a, one of the largest broadcasters. And um, they were interested to learn who are their audience past their current bias as to who their audience are. Mm -hmm. And how do they look to spend money in the right places and investing into content and then how do they recommend that content when most relevant? So we're able to understand, let's say, the minutes of engagement mm -hmm. when people are commuting to work um, or many of the other behaviors which I mentioned. And in turn, they are able to quantify how much investment they should then put into, say, short films, highlights, or 
um, anything that can be consumed in a short space of time. And am I right in saying that you're able to do that because you've deployed your technology within that broadcaster's application? Is it SDK? Um, So application or website, we've actually moved away from the SDK. Our SDK is awesome, but it's so difficult to get an SDK implemented. Um, So what we've done is now partner with a bunch of, um, say, marketing clouds Mm -hmm. or customer data platforms um, whose business it is to basically get SDKs in. So they do a great job at that, and they've got a lot of scale having done that already. So we use that in partnership with our uh, customer data platforms or marketing clouds or data management platforms to collect the data that we need uh, in real time, process it in real time and send it back mm-hmm. uh, or send it elsewhere based on what the brand's requirements are. Right. So in the case of the example I was giving you, it could be sent to the analytics platform. Once they've decided um, effectively how much what type of content they want to invest in and made that content, they are able then to send it to their uh, CMS and uh, recommend um, the user the right type of content when it matters. So you're almost acting as this uh, cognitive machine learning layer on top of the data that's being collected through you know, a third-party system, whether it's a CDP or, or a, you know, a, a, an app tracking yes. uh, piece of tech. And then once you've Uh, once you've computed the various different signals that you're receiving into outputs and and segmentations or whatever it may be, you're directly activating that into uh, a specific endpoint. Yes. Yes. And um, it could work two ways with the endpoint just as well. So we could get something back from them. Um, So we're like, uh, we're a middleware. We're a middleware for context. Um, but it's done in a way that we are automating data science and most accurately it would be called augmented a- analytics. Okay. And uh, it simply means that the capabilities of data science in an organization multiply. Data science get to focus on the conclusions mm-hmm. um, and driving more productivity through those. And your regular people like you and I and what we call citizen data scientists are able to use those inferences in a much wider way throughout the organization and in turn growing the value of data science. So the way in which that layer uh, of um, analysis is developed, that's bespoke, it's custom, it's, it's, it's developed by the people within the client's own organization or is it um, out of the box? It's out of the box. Okay. We provide um, pre-built algorithms uh, and predefined, uh, let's say, behaviors, um, which, based on how the user is interacting with that brand's um, application or website, um, we are able to define um, based on what predefinition um, that user falls into um, that they are doing effectively and deliver that to the brand and allow them to combine that with multiple other predefined. So that brings us on to the next product that's automated. Um, it's what we call interest. Um, it's using, um, effectively analyzing the content on a page mm-hmm. and spitting out uh, what the interest of the user is at that any one time. Um, kind of like a grape shop, for example. Um, and 
as a result of having interest and personal status, we get lifestyle because by understanding how people move around in the day and the type of content that they look at, we know what their lifestyle is just mm -hmm. as well. And that for a media owner or a brand is very much using their first party data. And um, when we look at applying that capability to somewhere like a DSP, it's using the data that's seen in the bid stream and responding to those bid requests within 10 milliseconds with the available attributes. Um, so that could be used in campaigns at scale. And is that a almost a pre-bid integration then that you have with the DSP so you can see yes. the information as it comes through the bid request and then you can make uh, that known in such a way that you can alter the the bid or the outcome on the basis of information that you're receiving in real time? Yes. Um, we're currently testing with three DSPs. Um, initial look, results are looking great. Um, it's quite an interesting thing because it also works on the SSP side. And what the both SSPs and DSPs can do is rather than leaking um, let's say IP or lap long data, they're able to hash that and replace it with the attributes um, that they see. Um, so effectively giving the marketers the information that they want um, and resolving the raw data into something that's immediately usable and understandable by marketers just as well. What kind of issues does that um, create just in terms of verifying some of the location signals that like we know that a lot of location signals that are passed by publishers in the bid stream mm. aren't necessarily accurate yeah and yeah i think that, that that's a kind of like a big thing about re-education because i think the use cases which the market seems to believe is the right ones for location data is very much limited and also prone to being incorrect and that is measuring store visits. Okay. Um, I don't know who came up with this idea. It sounds great on paper, but in practice, in a post-GDPR world, firstly, the scale isn't there, and secondly, the accuracy is not gonna be there. And in turn, the value towards any organization turns from being something which can be measured at scale to more of a survey. And if that's fine, that's totally Great, but from a targeting point of view, you're not going to get many users, which means that going back to your point on accuracy and seeing what gets thrown in the exchanges, people are trying to supplement the shortage of that data with, let's just say, uh, fake data. Um, we don't know where it comes from. So um, rather than focusing on did someone go to the store, that's definitely possible from, from our perspective, but we would rather focus on the automated machine learn aggregated outputs. And um, I do believe um, when it comes to location data in the bid stream, proximity-based use cases have a lot of value because they add scale. But uh, when we look at, did someone go to the shop? No one actually walks in a shop with the mobile phone in their hand on a publisher's page, or not many people have background tracking going on um, on their apps. If you look at your apps, maybe one, if, if not two, will have background tracking if you're lucky. Most of them are whilst using. So the true use case for location data is more customer experience driven on platform as opposed to um, 
kind of uh, advertising data exchange driven. Um, so, sorry. Give me some examples of those customer experience driven use so, cases then. Yeah, so the, for example, we're working with um, some retailers and they would like to use the one app and change the experience based on the user's context. So whilst I'm at home, as they know, I tend to buy things at home. It's a shopping app. Mm -hmm. When I'm at work, maybe it's a discovery app. Um, when I'm in the store, it's a customer service app. And whilst I'm on holiday, it's a lifestyle app. So always giving me lots of value, uh, driving more engagement with the platform, and in turn, increasing conversions. Um, so all a brand tends to want is effectively in increasing the amount of time that you spend with that brand. And that leads to you spending more money. And if they could give you value throughout your day, throughout your journey, whatever that happens to be, you are more likely to spend more money with them uh, rather than always trying to sell you something. So, um, yeah, I, I guess brands are now thinking about the different types of experiences they could drive with their own products, uh, improve minutes of engagement and in turn drive more value. So most of the use cases that Beamray is focused on delivering at the moment, it would be fair to say, are content uh, and creative personalization and you know, generally speaking experience personalization um, no not at all um, so that's one strand of it um, there's marketing automation um, advertising is a big piece of it right now because mm -hmm. we work with media owners we help them and uh, develop new advertising products uh, which they take to market which they own effectively um, also um, within let's say the bid stream it's advertising driven for us, it's about helping the brands understand at the core of their business that context is very important. It changes the understanding of what they should be seeing as a insight or a targeting parameter. As much of marketing today is very much based on trading buckets, like um, here's a bunch of users, come back to me tomorrow, I'll have some more. Mm -hmm. and. That works very well for demographics because your age changes maybe once a year. Um, when it comes to understanding when is the best moments to engage with any individual, um, that is completely different. So the next level of personalization is effectively context. And we believe all forms of marketing will have context in them. Um, and the way we look at it, rather than just using that context in one channel, let's say DSPs, for example, we believe that that should live at the core of a business. So rather than that context being uh, a campaign cost, it's a core asset for the business. And in turn, they're able to use that across any output or activation channel. So this goes to the heart of uh, your philosophy uh, as a business. Uh, and we were talking about it just before uh, we started the podcast, which was, you know, data not being so uh, campaign specific, but more uh, a a core asset of the business uh, over a longer period of time. Yes, yeah. So, like, if if you know based on your existing customers, the ones that buy stuff in your apps or your websites, what their behaviors are, and what type of context do they buy in, it provides you a lot of insights to then say, let's use this as a targeting parameter. 
So you're able to understand those things from people who are already at the bottom of the funnel, improve conversions for those people, as well as drive more of that type of traffic in mm -hmm. uh, with that methodology. Yeah, that makes a, makes a ton of sense. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there is, uh, you know, on the other side of, of, of that argument, um, you know, clearly there is uh, a market for campaign-specific uh, execution on large data sets, and the third-party data ecosystem is a testament to that. It's, mm -hmm. it's a marketplace that's been around for a number of years. It's growing uh, still, uh, you know, and, and, and continues to evolve, and clearly there is a market for that kind of data. But I do believe uh, in line with what you're saying that the uh, approach and the philosophy and the ethos that you know, brands now have towards the way in which they work with data is changing. It is becoming less specific to a tactical deployment or a particular campaign and uh, far more focused on uh, building long-term relationships, working uh, far closer with their data and their technology partners, investing much more in their own first-party uh, data assets uh, and thinking about ways in which they can enrich and extend upon those assets with third-party solutions or second-party data solutions. But I think that the focus is is changing, you know, and I think that that has something to do with just the, the nature of, uh, you know, the evolution of the ecosystem and the fact that, you know, brands and, and advertisers are now... Uh, taking much more control and, and you know, uh, as I said, a much greater focus on what they're doing with their own data and their own technology ecosystem as opposed to being too heavily reliant upon agencies or ad networks you know, that would have historically provided those kinds of capabilities from a data perspective. So mm -hmm. it seems to, uh, my experience, seems to align with uh, you know, the philosophy that, that Beamray has. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, there was, a, there was something, a bit of research from Forrester talking about marketing with context and without context. And the key change is that it goes from being periodic engagement, which is a campaign effectively, mm -hmm. and all the KPIs attached to that, to continuous engagement. And brands today want to be able to engage with users continuously. Um, and they also want to be able to own moments, whatever those moments tend to be. And through that repetition and that continuity, it helps reinforce that brand and drive more conversions. Um, so brands today understand that it's not just within a particular channel that they want to behave in this way. And hence, being able to understand what's going on across all of their channels and move data across all of them just as well. So for example, say they understand certain bunch of users and how they react on their own apps and websites mm -hmm. um, being able to extend that into social or into a dsp to use that attributes to buy against just as well um it's kind of where they are moving um yeah i agree how do you think that that philosophy and that approach ties in with some of the practicalities around the data ecosystem and where do you uh, see the evolution and what I'm talking about here is specifically you know building a long-term relationship with the consumer and you know building a cohesive and consistent and um, uh, you know 
longitudinal uh, relationship with the consumer depends upon, to a certain extent, persistence in, in mm-hmm. terms of how you identify that individual. So how do you how do you tie those things together when you have a you know, half life in the cookie ecosystem of say you know somewhere between you know fourteen and uh, and twenty one days? Mm-hmm. Are you focused? I mean, obviously the business model, at least as as as, as I understand it, is focused more towards mobile um Mm -hmm. you know do you see there being a big uh sea change in the way in which people uh advertisers brands deliver content deliver these types of personalized experiences uh you know cookie versus mobile versus you know as you were saying marketing automation more of a direct marketing approach yeah um firstly we don't have any problem whatsoever with the cookie life cycle when it comes to on-platform use cases um, so if we're working with your own apps or your own websites, there's no challenge whatsoever because we're enriching the first party IDs that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way in which we work is that rather than trying to own identity, there's a bunch of people doing it out there already. Um, so we work hand in hand with those guys and enrich their identities with the behaviors which we're seeing in real time. Um, when it comes to say the DSP or the SSP, um, it's slightly different because there is a life cycle to the cookie, maybe less so the device ID. Um, but all we're doing is the same thing, enriching their ID. In this case, the fact that where real time matters even more because we're able to look at a bid request and within 10 milliseconds respond back with all the attributes that we see. And in turn, every bid request can get enriched with the data which could be bought against. Mm-hmm. So even if the cookie life cycle t- turns into like less than a day, we've already made that transaction within 10 milliseconds. So how, how much historical data are you holding against that consumer then on what they've already been exposed to? Is it mostly, if not exclusively, focused on that individual at that point in time? Um, no, not, not exactly. It depends on the product. So if it's um, personal status, understanding uh, historically their... Uh, location insights um, then we do need historical information but that's done against the ID that um, would be held against that user so the ID of record whatever that happens to be whether it's the mobile device ID or a cookie ID okay Um, if it's um, interest and then we don't need historical information Um, and then we've added other products in as well such as weather um, and sports uh, results were soon to add traffic. So these, we don't need any historical information. Which is, I mean, really interesting. So just to pick up on those last two points, so weather, sports results, um, you know, these are, I think, quite innovative approaches to enhancing and enriching, you know, the information that we have about a particular individual to be very, very personalized, to be very uh, focused in the content that you're delivering or the creative uh, messaging. Are you focusing, you know, just in the context of, of, of those two examples on particular advertisers, verticals? Um, yes. So l- let's say um, with sports results, sports brand might want to own the moments around their team scoring. Their team could be the shirt that they sponsored Mm -hmm. or the number of team shirt that they sponsored or or a player. 
Um, so it could be owning the moments around those games or when their players score, as well as doing all the audience-based targeting that they're already doing. So it kind of changes their focus to a degree on when they actually deploy their advertising to leverage the tens or hundreds of millions that they've already paid in sponsorship. Um, so it's a, another way of looking at that. Um, with weather, it's quite interesting because dependent on the type of weather data, whether it's, um, let's just say, the standard measurements of weather that we look at, sunny, raining, temperature-based, or whether it's indices such as, say, pollen, flu, you don't necessarily need to use demographics data because if it's pollen weather, um, then regardless of your age and gender, you're more likely to be prone to hay fever mm-hmm. uh, when the pollen count is high. Um, so it means that the way they are using that uh, changes um, to a degree where they're not limiting scale, but they are driving accuracy for the type of audience that they're looking for. What are some other examples of uh, those types of data signal that you would use to evaluate uh, you know, the moment within which an individual finds himself or himself? Yeah, so um, one way is that it doesn't have to be used as a targeting parameter. Uh, Let's say any of these uh, attributes, whether it can be used as an insight. Mm -hmm. So you could say that, hey, my campaign, this creative was performing especially well when the weather was X. And as a result, I'm going to now target further when the weather is X. So it kind of helps you with that mid-campaign, post-campaign reporting to better understand with deeper intelligence why campaigns uh, performed in a particular way. Um, In terms of the other types of data available there, it could be kind of perfect snow being used by uh, airlines to get people to Switzerland for skiing, for example. Mm Um, it could be flu weather for pharmaceutical companies uh, wanting to target people in uh, particularly high flu months. Um, pollution. Um, lots of ad- advertisers want to harness um, pollution as a means to be able to communicate with people and um, talk about their brand. Um, what else do we have? Uh, dog walking weather. Lots of random stuff. And there's a, and there's about fifty of these. Are you looking at any um, any of the sources like social listening or? Yes, um, social is very interesting. And so this company is doing that quite well. We we'll, would we'll partner with them. Uh, we're effectively um, a real time processing engine which can combine. Um, data sets together with data science. Mm-hmm. So if someone's already got an existing data set, we could add that in as an API and then combine it against the data that we have and then um, send it out. So um, we don't necessarily need to define the data sets. It could be that the client already has that defined. They just want to combine that with something else or be able to activate it more um efficiently what's interesting about this and you know certainly from my perspective as somebody who spends most of his time focusing on data sets that are intrinsically tied to an id Mm -hmm. uh, either a cookie id or or a device id that's where i spend most of my time Mm -hmm. um, procuring those types of data sets this is is a data ecosystem that sits uh, you know quite separate from that in, Mm -hmm. in many respects it isn't 
ID dependent. These are real-time signals that come from a number of different sources that help to, uh, you know, uh, as you describe, enrich the overall understanding of the context of an individual. Mm -hmm. But it's a different way, I think, of thinking about data and the way in which we work with data in this industry um obviously not a different way from your yeah. perspective it's the way that you think about it but from my perspective it, it is different and it's almost um it's almost difficult for me to wrap my head around because i'm stuck in a mindset where i think about data very much as connected to intrinsically a device id or yeah. a cookie id that can be connected through device graphing technology or id mapping technology that has you know various different uh, use cases associated that you know i'm fairly well versed in uh, and so it's always interesting to me and, and difficult for me uh, when people start to talk about data sets that like weather, uh, pollution, pollen count, social listening, they're not connected necessarily to an ID. You don't have necessarily a database, um, you know, of, of ID level uh, attributes and characteristics. Yeah. But clearly, there's a huge amount of value in understanding this ecosystem and working with uh, businesses like Beamray to be able to enrich in real time your understanding of the context. Uh, you know, through using all of these different sources. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I think that's a very interesting point because for us, we started with location and location is always for us um, the identity uh, of a person. Um, it replaces the cookie, so to speak. This was a co uh, term coined maybe six years ago that location is the new cookie. Um, so effectively, mapping something to location such as weather is mapping it to a form of identity mm. the way we choose to do it is that rather than having a graph available so to speak of identities um, and leasing that graph out we would rather apply our models to any data set so that means that we can operate by partnering with, um, let's say, SSPs or DSPs and giving them the ability to add our capability to their offering holistically. Mm -hmm. um, we're able to partner with um, ID companies who are focusing on moving data around linked to a persistent ID and having a bunch of other attributes linked to that. Um, we could partner with uh, data management platforms and customer data platforms without really worrying about their internal strife around competition. Yep. Um, we could partner with push notification companies and everything in between um, because what we're doing is effectively improving the understanding of the users that they see and in turn adding more value to their clients without limiting ourselves to a particular sector or vertical uh, or group of ids effectively yeah no i think it's a really important point because it you know i can only speak for myself but it is almost a barrier that you need to uh overcome in terms of your understanding um to be able to understand the way in which you operate to be able to understand the data sets that you're working with and how you're partnering with different businesses mm -hmm. and how you're making your data um you know all, all, all the outputs the various signals and triggers available to you know particular clients if you try and understand that from the point of view of 
you know, ID level uh, data sets, device ID, cookie ID based data sets. I think you have a really hard time actually wrapping your head around this kind of, you know, way of working. Yeah. So, yeah. But by no means is it easy to explain to people if you look at everything that we do, um, because most of those things are entirely new for someone. So it's um, it's kind of like... Say like on mobile phone, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> it's on silent, sorry. Um, yeah, so I think um, we more focus on the particular use case. Because that way we're more talking about how to solve a brand's problem mm-hmm. as opposed to telling them about everything that we do. When we tell people about everything that we do, it's all new to them. And it's a completely... Uh, refreshed way of looking at things um, sometimes it takes a little while for people to get their heads around it but once they do they actually realize wow this is really powerful and this is made for me as mm-hmm. opposed to made for me and us beam ray yeah we're giving our capabilities to everyone and those capabilities are far more powerful than anything else we've seen in the market doing what we do um, and it's quite generous because we believe that rather than owning this entirely ourselves and owning the IDs around it, there's more value in owning the ability to scale that capability across the entire marketplace. And the clients, our clients' brands, and being able to harness that capability at the core of their business and use it in as many ways as possible. Do you need a a transaction in order to be able to apply your solution or so for instance you know we have um you know across our different data sets you know various different um sources of of information that Mm -hmm. sit you know within databases that are connected at an id level you know so we have a, a pretty good understanding we would like to think on uh, you know the the individuals uh, that it, that exist within our ecosystem in terms of their social demographic information and mm-hmm. their purchase behavior and their online browsing behavior and and content that they consume mm-hmm. historically. You know most mm-hmm. of that is is looking back in time uh, and aggregating and and bringing that three hundred and sixty degree view together through ID mapping. Can you apply your uh, you know, your solution to that as it sits, uh, you know, almost in stasis, or do you need to apply it on, you know, a client side transaction? Do you need to apply it in the context of a bid request or uh, you know, a request to the CMS? Does it have to be applied, mm. you know, almost you know, dynamically? It's a very good question. Um, it doesn't have to be applied only in real time. You can have a static data set sitting with yourself. It's just how we apply it has to be applied on an individual request level. Okay. So you can, there, there's methods where you could effectively have a bucket of data and stream that bucket to us, which would mean that every single data event that we're looking at, we're able to apply something to. Because what you effectively have is a packaged up bit of data. It's not raw. Uh, We need the raw elements of that to be able to add to each raw element. 
because each raw element is effectively an event which took place. And you've packaged it up to say, I define it as this, whatever that happens to be. Mm -hmm. uh, we see far more value in looking at the, the raw data and letting you know what we see as part of that, as opposed to um, necessarily um, how it's been defined already. And is the basis of that raw data, is it still location signals? So um, No, like um, IP, um, URL, uh, lat long, if it's available. Mm -hmm. So that's all we really need. Um, and then if you look at more specific stuff, uh, any events which took place there just as well. So um, l let's say if someone purchased something, for example. So uh, looking at the individual event level. Yeah. That's why when we are applied to say a, a bid stream, effectively everything's coming in at an, an event level rather than being sent to us as an audience. And hence it's far easier for us to actually resolve that in real time rather than looking at, let's say, uh, a predefined audience. Um, how we work with, let's say, uh, Adobe, for example, with their audience manager, they're able to send us what could be called a, a viewing instance as well as a live feed. Mm -hmm. um, so there's two types of data which we receive of them, both the raw data uh, coming in in real time as well as a prepackaged segment which we're able to add data on top of. Um, so there's quite a bit of flexibility involved. Great. Uh, well, look, I think we're, we're we're running out of time, but um, thank you. That time already. Very much. <laughs> for coming in. Get carried away in uh, these conversations about data, uh, but thank you. I, I really appreciate you coming in. It's been uh, really really interesting, and I think important to make the distinction uh, between the types of data that we often talk about in in this program and other types of data that are available in the ecosystem and other ways of working and other solutions and capabilities. So I really appreciate you coming in and, and talking about that. Before we go, I just wanted to give you an opportunity. Have you got any events coming up? Any? Yeah. Um, we're going to be at the live ramp event, ramp up in San Francisco in a few weeks. Amazing. Um, we've just uh, done an integration with them. So um, we are looking to add more value to their partners and customers. Um, we're also going to be at the Adobe Summit in Las Vegas. Reluctantly to Las Vegas. <laughs> I promised myself I'll never go back there after a stag holiday. Uh, but uh, this time this would work, so it's okay. So um, we are one of the first partners with uh, Adobe to integrate into their new platform called Launch. Mm -hmm. yep. um, it's an advanced tag management system and uh, it allows us to collect data from Adobe SDKs um, in real time Great. and resolve it, send it wherever. Um, so um, they've asked us to come along as um, we were in a kind of a competition there just as well. So uh, there afterwards, what else is going on? Um, Oh, we're going to uh, M-Particles event, uh, Acceleration, New York, uh, in April. What do you think about the whole CDP ecosystem? Um, it's interesting. Um, so, like, I, I think um, CDPs uh, solve uh, fundamental problems in the market, which DMPs can't. Um, but that there seems to be a shift going on with, of course, DMPs having been acquired by marketing clouds. Mm. Now, those marketing clouds or DMPs 
and developing their own competitive uh, solutions, which might not have all the features of a CDP immediately, but block by block they're adding to it. And one of the first steps is creating an SDK abstraction tool uh, or a, an advanced tag management tool, depending on how you look at it, um, which a lot of them are doing now. Um, but of course, the CDPs are further out ahead in terms of the problems that they solve for an organization. And those problems can extend past, again, marketing mm -hmm. and into engineering and product and data um, privacy. Um, so they do have a head start. And of course, the use cases as a result differ from just moving data around in buckets to moving data around in real time. And in our case, moving data science around in real time. So do you see um, more of a future in investing in relationships, your business relationships with CDPs, DMPs, or, or both? Um, I would say the CDPs are way more innovative. So the, the use cases that we're working with them on are going to be further ahead. Uh, to give an example, um, we recently partnered with um, one of the largest weather companies in the world and, and we are forming um, the bedrock of their data economy, so to speak. So they're using us to send data out to multiple partners of which CDPs is one. Um, and then there's a DMP in there and then there's a, an ID sales company. Um, and what they effectively, or a data store, so to speak, um, and what the use case is enabled by the CDP is very different to selling the data mm -hmm. for app, uh, campaigns. It can be used for customer experience within apps, um, analytics, insights. So the, the challenge is, of course, that the, I wouldn't say DMP, I'd say the marketing clouds um, have got a lot more app installs than the CDPs have. Mm -hmm. So from our perspective, um, the CDP is a closer technical partner, but the marketing cloud offers more of an addressable market with the number of app installs. Yeah, it's interesting. There's an article, um, it came out a couple of days ago, I haven't managed to read it, but I think it's, uh, roughly speaking, I think it's about the, uh, the complementary nature of CDPs and DMPs as opposed to the combative, competitive nature of the two solutions. I think when CDPs first hit the market, you know, 24 mm. months ago, it was very much, uh, you know, quite an aggressive narrative around CDPs replacing the DMP um, as, as the primary uh, mm. principal solution for, for managing data. I think now the narrative has changed slightly and, you know, it's more focused yeah. on the... Yeah, maybe the CDPs realized where their strengths lay just as well. The DMP does very different things. They, um, in terms of storing data, it's very different with the DMP. Mm. Uh, the life cycle of that can be longer in certain cases. Um, also, the focus on the advertising ecosystem, be it um, DSPs as a data partner, um, is very different to a CDP, which doesn't really look to do that in terms of enriching third-party data or second-party data yeah. currently. Um, but they do look to enrich the first-party data primarily. Um, so if you are a brand and want to get your data into a DSP, um, 
doing so via across all of your channels and across all of your events, CDPs do that very differently. Um, but if you're a brand and you want to buy as much data as possible uh, from the market, then a DMP does that very differently. Yeah. Um, but then there's a, there, I think it's more based on like, what, what is the problem that you're trying to solve really? And uh, let's forget about acronyms. Yeah. The acronyms just make it more complicated in some way as to defining what that acronym actually means. The, yeah. the reality is every tech company builds what they have differently and putting yourself into a box to some degree uh, can limit you in the long term as opposed to help people understand what you could do. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point. We've certainly changed our approach in the last couple of years. You know, we used to have you know, quite universal uh, requests for information documents and requirement scoping documents and we've, we've changed that approach now to be far more focused on you know, quite specific use cases that brands want to solve, um, which which allows us to be far more direct in the way in which we then approach the market to find the best solution. You know, it used to be, I think, uh, a fairly generic approach on on requirement scoping, and then um, you know, requesting information from the market at large, seeing pretty much all of the same suppliers as you would see, uh, you know the time before and the time before that yeah now yeah i think we're far more selective and far more uh discerning about what we actually want to achieve or what the advertiser actually wants to achieve and, and contextualizing that within specific use cases okay look, yeah. we're going down and uh, <laughs> rabbit hole we definitely i, I think it's a very good point and to end on that it, brands just simply want to make more money and they couldn't care less what the acronym is um so being able to define what the use case is and what the ROI is of that use case and how far that scales across their organization rather than in one channel is what they should be looking at. And um, we've kind of understood that coming from our approach. Yep. And uh, that's what we're hell-bent on doing. Yeah. Getting back to basics, horses yep. for courses. Yes. <laughs> Listen, thank you very much for coming in. Thanks I appreciate for your time. it. Done.